The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's Gobby and welcome to What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. We got a little bit of a facelift. If you're new here, I'm Gobby. I'm the founder of What's Gobby Cooking, a best-selling author and now a podcast host. What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild, which is the latest version of my podcast, is your one-stop shop for all your food and cooking questions. We'll be talking tips and tricks, how to store food, how to put together meals based on what's in your pantry and more. I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people and highlighting super cool small companies from the food world. So let's get right into it. This is What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. Hi, guys. Happy Monday. I hope everybody had an incredible 4th of July weekend, although I'm sure it looked a little different. I want to welcome you to the first episode of What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. We have had a slight branding change since What's Gobby Cooking in Quarantine is, you know, short form, whatever. We're doing a little bit longer now. So welcome. We are kicking things off today with someone who's so special to me, very important in my life. We've known each other forever. You guys know him. He's like an integral part of my family. And he's my very best friend, Matt Armanderis. You're about to hear all about his life. He is an incredible food photographer. He is a creative director. He started from the bottom and basically is on the top now. He's crushing life. He's also a Zumba instructor. I mean, the man is so multi-talented. I cannot say enough good things about him. So put your hands together. Get ready for if you walk away from this without smiling, there's no way it's possible. So here we go. You guys, if you're not familiar, I know we just talked about this at the top of the episode, but Matt is a world-renowned food photographer, creative director, and like superstar Zumba instructor. And he teaches classes typically Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, and Saturdays. And there was a naked man that showed up a couple of days ago. Yes. Last Friday. Now my students alerted me. Um, And luckily everybody took it in stride. He was just showing his little bum. I mean, he did turn around a few times. Oh my God. I was more mortified than my students, but it was fine. I feel like they all probably got a chuckle out of it. Oh, no, absolutely. You don't have to wear clothes in my Zumba class, but you mean that means you need to leave your camera off. And people were like, the one day I missed your class. (laughs) Uh, It was pretty funny. Was it a new person? Is it someone you'd seen before? Never seen him. Don't know who he is. Oh my God. Okay. Well, I feel like I have talked about you all the time. Like you're such an integral part of my life, work life, personal life. Like I feel like I've just inserted myself into your guys's marriage, but I want to take it back before we met. And I want you to tell everybody how you got started in this wonderful world of food photography, like back to the beginning. Oh my goodness. Like back to the beginning, beginning or the yeah, like when beginning. you first picked up a camera. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I have to go back even a little further because it explains how I got in the food business to begin with, because that's what enabled me to pick up a camera. So I'm from Austin, Texas, and that is the site of the original Whole Foods Market, which I worked at. And this is my God, late 80s, no, 90s, I don't know, right at 1990 or so. I don't even know. You know, everybody in Austin at some point had worked for Whole Foods when you're in college. It was just a thing where everybody does it. I was bagging groceries, working as a cashier, eventually became a shift manager, and then Whole Foods started growing. So after a year or two, they were like, do you guys want to move to Chicago and open their new region of Whole Foods? 
So I did that with a couple of my friends um, and we were all roommates because you know, you're in your early twenties and you're like, wow, this company's paying me to move and giving me money for a, a deposit, all this stuff. So it was great. And so each store had something called a store artist. And so I started doing chalkboards and signage systems and design. So right there, I was kind of in that industry of art, you know, that kind of thing. So eventually I became art director, then creative director, and left Whole Foods after 10 years to go to join a company called Bristol Farms. And I was there for another 10 years. And towards the last few years of my time there, I was producing photo shoots. So I was hiring photographers, all the food stylists, prop stylists, and all that. And it wasn't really anybody's fault, but I just wasn't getting the kind of images that I was seeing in my head, if that makes sense. And so, you know, I'd come home and I'd look at the Polaroids because this is pre-digital, of course. And I was like, you know, these are fine images, but they're not what I wanted exactly. Like I said, it was really nobody's fault because they were fine. But being a creative person, it's hard when you're trying to express yourself and it doesn't come out the way you want. So I realized at that point that the issue is me. Like, if this is what I want, then I have to be the person to do it myself. So I picked up a camera and kind of just started experimenting with it. I say this a million times, but I had already had the background with uh, design. So I already understood colors and proportions, negative space, positive, you know, all that stuff and layout. And photography is very related. Commercial photography is, is so similar. So I realized at that point, there were only two things that I needed to learn, which was the f-stop and the aperture. Took me years to figure out how those work together. <laughs> um, and then once I figured it out, I was like, oh, I can create images. I can make photos. I can do this. So At that point, I was still an art director or director of advertising for Bristol Farms and started using some of my photos in my own work because it was like, oh, I need a picture of, you know, pluots or I need a quick picture of these strawberries. It's like, well, I don't really need to go and hire a photographer to have a photo shoot for this, you know, for a whole day. So I can do it myself. So I did, and it slowly started going, coming into my work. Now, around the same time, I also started blogging. That's how all of this kind of started happening. And so I did a post on Mexican food, regional Mexican food or something, Oaxacan. Mary Sue and Susan and the Border Grill people saw it and reached out and they were like, you know, you're a new photographer. We have some photo needs. You obviously can photograph this type of food. You want to come and spend some time at the restaurant shooting the stuff for our menu. So that was the very first like real job I had. And then it's just always been connected since. And so I did that for two or three years while I still had my day job and I was missing a lot of work to go and take freelance jobs. But I was having so much more fun taking pictures of food than sitting behind a computer. It's fun because at that point, I was the copywriter. I was the designer. I was the director of advertising and then the photographer. So I was doing it all. And then in 2010, I got laid off. Rude. Rude. Yeah, (laughs) I was like, how can they lay me off? I do all this. And I gave myself one day to have a little pity party. And mind you, this is my first day back after being gone for like 10 days to shoot a cookbook, you know? (laughs) What cookbook was it? Oh, I remember it. I'm not going to say it because it's so trifling. The author is so trifling. (laughs) Trifling. (laughs) Trifling. I can't even with her. And I got back to work. He's like, oh, you know, we have to let you go. We're having budget cut. So I gave myself one day to be sad. And then I was like, you know what? If I'm going to make this world of photography work, 
I have to jump in 150%. That was 10 years and three months ago. Look at and, you now. And, and yeah, look at me now. So there, <laughs> yeah. So that's the, that's, the long, that's the long story of how I got here. This is out of order. I was going to ask you this later in our rapid fire questions, but just tell everyone how many cookbooks you've shot now since that first one you did 10 years ago. 32, 33, 34. A few have been like reissues where they needed new content. So I didn't originally shoot the book. I can tell you it's a solid 30. That's like roughly three a year. Yeah. That's a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. Within those 10 years, you and I met probably, well, no, we probably met like nine or 10 years ago, I would say back in 2011. So So people have heard me tell this story, but I want to hear your version of it. How did we meet? It wasn't at IACP, it was at a workshop, right? It was at your workshop with- It was at my workshop, yes. So I was doing a workshop. I was a food photographer. It was a food styling workshop, not with Adam, but with Denise Vivaldo. And you took the class- and we just hit it off. And so I was like, oh, yay, fun. Because I had known who you were blogging at that point, right? Baby blogger. Yeah, you were Baby like, blogger. I was not Matt. When, when the blogging world started, Matt was part of the cool kids. And I was just like, mm, they look so fun. I want to be friends with them. <laughs> I, yes, I do. Yes, I was the cool kids club. And of course, <laughs> still are. Yeah, well, half of them are not even doing anything anymore. Yes, that's um, true. <laughs> yeah. And then I was invited to speak on food photography at IACP in Portland. And I was there by myself and I didn't know anyone. And I was in a terrible, terrible mood. I was excited to be there. But then one of the board guys, this photographer guy, pulled me aside and told me something really nasty. And I'm all about like airing things now. And But back then he said, you're going to be speaking to bloggers and authors. Make sure that you let them know that they have to hire a professional photographer and that they can't do things for themselves. And I was like, No, I'm not going to say that because I'm a self-made photographer and I'm a blogger. And at that point, I already shot my own book. So I was like, that's really crappy and disingenuous to, you want me to toe the line to protect professional photographers. You know, it's like, of course, there are going to be authors and bloggers who have no interest in photographing their own projects, you know, but there are also people who want to, and there are also people intelligent enough to know I can shoot this cupcake myself. I can't shoot this entire dinner scene. So I will go and hire a professional photographer. It was this like old guard kind of creepy, rude way of doing it. I I don't think anyone should ever tell someone you can't do something. It doesn't work out and you are too inexperienced, then you fail and you learn. But to, to be pulled aside and say, before I go on stage, okay, now make sure you don't let them know that they can do it themselves kind of thing, you know? Anyway, that put me in a horrible mood. I was by myself. I was like, why am I even here? I'm, I'm angry now that somebody told me that. And then I saw that you were there. Front and center. Front and center. So I was like, oh, there's that girl who came to my workshop that I know. I'm going to have her come up with me on stage because I need somebody to click my PowerPoint presentation. So you did, right? Yep. So excited. Yeah. <laughs> And then, yeah, and then I was like, okay, then all is right with the world and I don't have to feel bad about this crappy story somebody gave me because now I'm having a good time with Gabby. And then we went and ate all the food carts in Portland. Oh my God, ate it all. It was amazing. We hit like 15 of them in a day. We were both so ill. (laughs) Yes, pretty much. Do you remember that chicken and rice? That was our first meal together. Like the Vietnamese chicken and rice place. Boiled chicken. On yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, yeah. Mm. Chicken, yeah, that was delicious. So good. So that was how it all started. And then I met Adam 
at your guys' studio a few weeks later and then just like popped myself right in. There you go. <laughs> we'll save Adam's story for another podcast. I'll make him come on in a couple of weeks. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about photography that I want to get into some other like more fun personal stuff. But for people who are listening, I feel like there's so many people who want to take pictures of their food. They're making recipes from one of our books or another book or whatever it is. They just want to share something. I feel like a lot of people similar to this IACP man will tell people it's all about the camera. I know you have strong feelings on that. And I want to hear what you would tell people when bottom line, it doesn't matter what kind of camera you have, correct? It has nothing to do with the camera. It has nothing to do with the lens. It has nothing to do with the equipment. It's all about you and your eye and what you think looks good, period. In today's world, we all travel and I don't even bring our DSLR anymore. Like I'm either, honestly, I'm either with you or I'm with Thomas or I'm with both of you. So there's no need to have a big camera for me. So I just travel with my iPhone. Will you give people like two to three hot tips for shooting with your phone specifically for food? Everything's better now with the iPhone. Each time, each new version of the phone that comes out, the sensor's better, the lenses are better. Right now, you know, like five years ago, we didn't have portrait mode that gave you a nice blur. Just experiment. Here's the thing. It's not like it costs to per picture. So I, there's times I'm going to dinner. I was like, oh, I want to get a picture of this and it just doesn't look right. So I'm like, okay, screw it. I'm not going to do it. But just experiment. You know, two years ago, I would have said, really just shoot things overhead because the lenses have limitations. With the latest iPhone, the lenses are even better. So I'll shoot three quarters and it's actually fine now. So it changes. And in your recent dining out experience, like pre-quarantine, before none of us went out for dinner, would you ever go to a restaurant and ask to sit by a window? Well, I mean, in my early days, I did. Not anymore because I don't take pictures of my enough. food. No, and you don't need but, the natural light. But yeah. for other people, if they wanted to sit by natural light. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go early, sit by a window. Matt and I do our best dining around 4.30 anyways. So like we're really there for the early bird special. <laughs> always, always, always. <laughs> More in the photography realm of things. I feel like when we work together on What's Gobby Cooking, you are always looking to push the envelope and make it better. Like you never want to get stagnant. You always want to experiment with new techniques or lighting or whatever it is. I think you're pretty much in my mind, and I think in many people's at the forefront of everything, and you think way ahead of all these other magazines or photographers or whatever, how do you stay inspired and like what keeps you wanting to create more things and like coming up with those cool ideas? One, the basis, I don't ever want to repeat myself. So if I've done something enough times, then I'm happy with it and it's time to move on. So that's kind of the impetus for me pushing myself. Like, okay, I've shot this a million times or here's the thing, there was a time where I was working on cookbooks and it's like, okay, I've shot an overhead shakshuka for 10 different people. So I'm not going to shoot that again, or I'm going to find a different way to move, to push the needle forward kind of thing. That's one aspect of it. Another is I am a voracious consumer of everything. I read constantly. I listen to music. I am a people person. I talk to everyone. I'm a sponge that way. So because of that, I get to absorb and see what people are doing and then kind of shape that into something that I can use and something that works for me. Um, and then I put it out there and then it's received and then, you know, it's copied or I copy it or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. I guess it all comes from needing to express myself and always trying to do something new for me that challenges me. Because if I'm not challenged, 
then I'll find something else. Maybe it was a little over a year ago you got this new strobe. Matt, we've always shot natural light for the majority of our careers together. And he got this strobe and I was like, oh my God, a strobe? You want to start using fake lighting? And I was so nervous about it. And you're like, no, you need to sit over in the corner over there and listen to me. I'm going to do this. And the photos that came from it are just like so spectacular. I can't even believe we didn't use it before. Like, it's just the coolest piece of technology. Well, here's the thing. I've always had the strobes. And that was like two years ago, not a year ago, because that was a year ago we worked on the book. Two and a half years ago. For those listening, Gabby's referring to a lot of hard light is, is what she's getting at. And she was very reluctant. And I get it because sometimes hard light with food, it's too hard. For other people, I will go harder for you, I'll push it along, but then I have to soften it a tiny bit because I need to be true to who you are and your language. It changed the way things looked and you see it in the latest cookbook that we did for you. And here's the thing. I would be so upset and mortified and depressed if I knew people were spending their money and not getting something different. That was a conversation I had with myself. I didn't need to share that with anybody. I was like, I have to make this $30, whatever, that people are going to fork over, make it worth it because people work really hard and a cookbook to me sometimes is a luxury. I needed to know that we made it different than the last one because why were we making a book if it was not going to be different? Let's tell everyone a little bit about our working vibe because I remember this conversation vividly last April, I believe it was, before we started shooting this third cookbook together. And me, Matt, and Adam sat down. We were talking about the recipes that were going to go into the book, you know, like all these different things. We were sitting at your kitchen at the stools and you were like, listen, we're not going to do this book unless it looks totally different. Here's what I want to do. We're going to go to Palm Springs. We're going to shoot here. We're going to shoot this. We're going to add more lifestyle. So all these recipes that you're about to develop, go for it. But like, keep that in the back of your mind because we're going to do this. And it was a so incredible to go into a project having that sort of direction, but be really cool to watch you create something that is totally new. And it does look totally different than the second book. And you have to remember, so in those moments, I'm not just sitting down as a photographer, I'm sitting there as a creative director. And then also, okay, but yes, as a photographer, who's spent six months working on this project, or eight months, or knows what he did a year ago that hasn't hit the streets yet. So I'm kind of leapfrogging over that. So in that sense, you know, I'm trying to see forward what trends will be, uh, what looks will be popular, what people will be eating. Um, but of course, still keep it very what's got to be cooking. So, you know, there were moments where I was like, you know, we can be a little more off the cuff. We can be a little silly. We can be a little impromptu. Things don't have to be perfect, you know, but that also comes from being more confident as a photographer too. So, you know, before I was like, I need to have all these props. I need to make sure that I've got a good soft light. I'm at a point in my career where I'm just like, I can cuss on your show, right? <laughs> where I'm like, fuck it. Fuck it, fuck it. You know what? It's going to work. It's going to be fine. Everything's always going to be fine. So I'm just like, you know what? I might not have the lens I need. I might not have this, but you know what? We're going to make it work because we're approaching it with honesty and the desire to do the best we can. And that's all that can matter. When we rolled into Palm Springs last year to shoot the pool party scene of my cookbook, we rolled in with Matt's camera, the strobe, 
and a silk. That was all the equipment we brought. We sourced everything else from the house. We bounced things off of walls. Like that was it. Some of the most incredible imagery in the entire book that just came because Matt had a vision and we made these awesome recipes. You also have to remember, if you micromanage the creative process too much, you're going to be fine, but you also are not allowing yourself those moments of random things that can just happen that can make or break something. So when you said, you know, I just showed up with a camera and one lens and one light, that's exactly it. I made sure I had extra batteries, but I was going to use the environment we were in. I was going to use the light we were in. I was going to use the the home rentals props if I needed to, you know, because there's a magic that happens in letting go. And that's a perfect example. You work with so many other clients. I mean, you shoot for coffee, bean, and tea leaf. You've done Chipotle. Like, what are some of your biggest projects to date? Uh, This homegirl named Gabby Dalkin, Chrissy Teigen, and Cravings. Not her books, but the website. Coffee, bean, and tea leaf, Chipotle, Food Network, Panda Express, Walmart, Sam's Club, Target. I'll link his website uh, in the show notes if you guys want to go check everything out. You can do so many things. You're so multifaceted. But I think there are people that are listening to this that work for brands, that work in PR. And I think when you're hiring a team and you're the lead of that team and then you get to hire the food stylist and the prop stylist and all this, there's a reason you're hiring you. Like there's a reason you're choosing Matt Armendariz to be this because you trust his vision. So trying to like micromanage a situation. Yes, I understand that there are assets that need to come from every photo shoot, especially when you're a big like multi-million dollar Fortune 500 brand. But you also have to really, you have to put your trust into whoever you're hiring and let them do their work because they're going to be able to run free with their creativity. But you also have to remember there are moments where I don't get to be creative, but I think companies will hire me knowing that, knowing that I'm fine with that, you know, and that, and that there's no pushback because I know I have to shoot this a certain way. They know I want to make it as painless and easy and enjoyable for them. So I'm happy to do it. That kind of thing. You know, I know when to push the envelope and I know when not. As far as food photography, trends and things that make you cringe, what's like one direction you're super pumped to go in and what's one thing you're seeing over and over again? You're like, if I see that one more fucking time, I'm going to throw my phone out the window. If I see a palm leaf shadow, One more freaking time, people. Stop it. Stop it. Stop, stop, stop it. Stop. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay, thank you. Um, (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I sure do. (laughs) Okay, it's everywhere. It's and you know what? There there are things that that we do as photographers and that we we jump on to. Um, and that, you know, it's like a meme, it's 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 an idiom, it's whatever, and uh that kind of tropical 1940s palm leaf shadow against the wall. Here's the thing. It's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. I did it, you know, because it evokes a certain mood. Use those elements, put it together differently, do something unique that is your own vision. But if you asked me this two years ago, I would have said, oh, it would have been the cookie with the ribbon on it or twine or twine Twine. or, or, oh, if if you asked me this three years ago, I would have been like, Turn on some lights. Why is everything so gray and dark? You know, like we, we go through trends and, you know, right now where everything is hard lit and bright and it's good. I love it because it's different. It's a whole new set of challenges. But then I also look at some photographers and that's all they're doing, which tells me that's all they can do. 
that's fine. But if you want longevity in this industry and as an artist, it's helpful to know how to evolve. Tell us how you got into Zumba. Because <laughs> Matt is, like I said at the top of this episode, a Zumba aficionado. He knows basically everyone at the company. If quarantine didn't happen, we were going on a Zumba cruise this year. And they need everyone yes. to know your, like, your true passion for it. So you knew me when I was chunky which was, you know, yeah, like I didn't think anything of it, but I, you know, I think I've lost about 50 pounds, 52 pounds or so. You weren't even chunky. You just weren't into working out. You weren't into being athletic. No, no, not at all. And, and so I lost weight, but I realized I needed to keep working out. We had bought a house. We moved to a new neighborhood. I was walking to the grocery store. There was a personal gym. I was like, you know what? I should try that. This was before I lost weight. So started going regularly, exercising, changed how I ate, and then the the weight came off, right? So ended up leaving that neighborhood, stopped working out with the trainer because there comes a point where you're confident enough in how to use the equipment. It was like two years ago, we moved and there's a gym across the street. So I was like, I need to go sign up. If anybody knows me, I absolutely hate cardio. Like I don't like it. And so I did the elliptical because I had to. I did the Stairmaster because I had to because you really have to get your heart up in the zone. I mean, there's no magic formula for losing weight and staying in shape. It's food and exercise, right? Sometimes a little crystal meth, but that's just (laughs) rare. I mean, um, but anyway, uh, that's a joke, you guys. And so I was on the, the treadmill and it faced the group fitness room. And I saw all these little ladies, middle aged, some young, some old, all in the room, just dancing. And they were smiling like you couldn't believe they're having fun. And I was just like, what the heck is this? Is this like some kind of like Mary Kay Cosmetics dance off in the room? Like I didn't get it, you know? And I was like, oh wait, that's that Zumba. And I'd heard of it because Zumba has been around since for a long time, you know, 20 years or so, but I'd never seen it. And so I love to dance. So I was just like, well, they look like they're having a good time. I'm just going to walk in there. I'm going to go to the back of the room and I can do it, you know, because they're all sweating and I see people working out. And I was like, I could do that. Turns out I couldn't do that. I was horrible. Were you bad at first? Oh yeah, totally. Because the thing is, I didn't know the moves and I didn't know how to move and, and all that stuff. I just knew how to dance the way I knew how to dance, that kind of thing. The saving grace is years ago, I'd taken a couple of months of salsa because I wanted to do something different. So when we started doing that in class, I was like, hey, I got this. I know that part. So anyway, I was so terrible at it. If there's one thing about me is if I'm going to do it, I've got to do it really well. Otherwise, I won't do it. So I was like, I can't let this class beat me. I, so I went back the next week, went back the next week, started getting better at it, right? And in Zumba, you know, you can go wherever in the room you want to, but the new people usually stay in the back. Well, of course, I felt more confident in myself, so I just started pushing myself up to the front. Eventually, after about a month, I was like in the front row, and I was like, woo, I know what I'm doing. And I just took to it. It, it made sense to me. What made sense to me was that, wow, for one hour, I'm doing something where I'm not thinking about anything else and I'm having fun and it's silly and I'm meeting wonderful people. And then as I'm leaving class, I would look down at my Fitbit and I was like, holy shit, like that's how many calories I burn? Like that's what happened? But I was just having fun. 
So, I mean, that's what Zumba by design, you know, is supposed to do that. Yeah. After a couple of months, this instructor, she's just like, hey, come here. Have you ever thought about becoming a teacher? And I was like, no. She's like, you should do it. You're made for this. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but whatever. Then another friend, Roxana, was like, I think you should become a Zumba instructor. Then another person's like, so all these instructors, because I was bouncing around going to classes to, because, you know, everybody's different. And I wanted to see what classes I like. Some classes were too slow. Some classes, there was too much twerking. Some classes were all merengue or all cumbia. And it's like, as much as I love that, I need some variety. So you find out what kind of instructors you like. But anyway, I decided, like, let me go for it. I don't know if I'm ever going to teach, but it's great just to get licensed. I did it. I told my friend Carla Charay, who is an amazing Zumba instructor and an amazing dancer. And she ended up telling the district manager of the gym, Crunch, so that one day we heard that you're an instructor. Would you like to come and teach a class? You have to audition. So I did and started teaching a class and then that's how it happened. So I was teaching at, at, at the gym and then also at the YMCA once a week. And it was great because it was so separate, you know, like I have this photo career and then I get to go and dance with my ladies and some guys, but mostly ladies kind of kept things really separate. And it was funny because my Zumba students didn't know what I did for a living, which was kind of funny, but also nice, you know, that it was separate. Uh, and then the damn Corona hit and all the classes went away. You took that as an opportunity and I don't feel like you even missed a beat. Like, did you even miss one week of not teaching classes? How soon did you start doing your online Zoom classes after Corona hit? Just, just like today when people who are very, you know, anti or pro mask Back then, it was the same, where people are like, oh, we were overreacting. This is not a big deal. This is just the flu. And I knew it wasn't. And so I started saying, you know what? I'm not comfortable teaching right now because I think in a matter of time, the gyms are going to be shut down. So I, th I think maybe I was about two weeks ahead of the curve there, you know? Then here's what happened. Historically, Zumba, because of licensing and music, you can't record it. You're not supposed to because those are copyrighted songs because of coronavirus. Zumba changed the restrictions for licensing and said, okay, you can do live classes. They cannot be recorded. They have to be live. You can use these platforms, Zoom, Skype, cannot use Instagram, cannot use Facebook because those create recordings. And so I was like, you know what? This is kind of like what I, I call it a perfect storm. I was like, wow, I've got the technology because of my job. I've got the lighting because of my job. I've got the cameras. So I was just like, you know, why don't I just take my photo world and my Zumba world, put them together for this online class. And that was three months ago. And we are still packing the house with students. You guys, if you are free around 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, and Saturdays at 10, is it creepy that I know your schedule? No, no, it's a regular thing. <laughs> Come visit. It's on Zoom. Matt posts all the information on his Instagram before it goes live. I was just doing it because I like dancing and it's fun. But after getting to hear from people, it's kept them sane because we've been locked inside our house. Now, slowly things are opening. Who knows what's happening as of today because now the numbers are going crazy again. People who would normally have never stepped into the gym to take Zumba a lot of guys wouldn't have. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people don't want to dance in front of people. So being able to do this in the comfort of your own home and having me as your instructor has been a good thing for a lot of people. For me, I didn't know that like parents would have their kids 
it would be part of their PE class, you know? And so that was really wonderful to see all these families dancing with their kids, but also multi-generational situations with families and their moms. And then people, families from living on opposite ends of the coast would dial in together to dance virtually with their sisters or their brothers or their moms. The community that it's created for you and all these people that come together four times a week is just like incredible. It's so beautiful to watch it. I remember the first time, it was literally the first week you were at the studio. Adam was at home tuned in. I was at my house tuned in and I cried because there were so many people doing it. And when you're on Zoom watching, you can put it on grid mode so you can see everybody who's allowing their camera to be seen dancing. And it was so beautiful to watch all these humans, all different sexes, races, everything coming together and trying to be, trying to mimic dance, epic dance. To move, dance yeah. Moves. You know, I mean, all, all shapes, all sizes, all dance abilities, all movement abilities, you know? One thing, though, everyone has in common. What? They're all better dancers than I am. Well, that goes without saying. <laughs> yes, without a doubt. Um, and, but, here's, and I, but as a side note, I, before I did it, I was just like, oh, this is going to be, it's going to pale in comparison. It's not going to be the same as getting the energy from the students in a gym class when you're there in real time. And I have to say, none of that has proven true. We are still sweating. We're still laughing. We're still connecting. We're doing something together, but we're also taking care of our bodies. I don't remember his name. He's a therapist, but he, he wrote about this concept of flow. And Flow is when a group of people unite in an endeavor or an action and they are working together as one unit to that end goal. And flow, you know, that could be anything. But the the common thing about flow is that one, time stops, you pay no attention to it. Two, you pay no attention to anything else but what you're doing. So you see this in people playing chess You see it in people playing in an orchestra, those kind of things, teams where everyone does that. And so I'm reading this article about flow and I was like, holy crap. And this light bulb went off. I was just like, that is exactly what we're doing one hour in Zumba. Like it doesn't matter what is happening in your life. It all just disappears and goes away. Unfortunately, it's still there waiting for you when the class is over but you're in a better mood to deal with it. But you, you cannot think of anything else but being in the moment and having fun and laughing and letting off steam or, or crying or, or whatever. But it's just this, it's this connectivity with people um, and it's just done through music and dancing and movement and it's pretty damn amazing. It's so good for everyone's mental health too. It really is. It's good for mine, you know? And here's the funny thing. If I start thinking about things I have to do when class is over or like, oh, did I send this invoice? Or, oh my God, I have these images to process. If I physically let my brain think about other things, I mess up. I miss a step or a cue or in a direction, you have to train your mind to let it just do one thing. Because if you do that, then all the stuff gets pushed aside. I don't think developing a skill to ignore things, it's it's letting your brain focus. Focus. And when do we ever do that about anything? Never. We We have to multitask. We have to be on our phone. We have to do this. It's like, we never give ourselves the opportunity. If you do yoga, if you meditate, if you run, yes, you do. Those people are already doing it. You know, it's more of like giving yourself the permission to just be in the moment. And that's very, very hard. I want to do some rapid fire questions. Okay. You just say the first thing that comes to your mind when I ask you. Ready? 
Uh-huh. What did you want to be when you grew up? As a kid, I wanted to design sets. Least favorite food? Marzipan. Emoji that best describes you? Eggplant. <laughs> if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Stop time. Uh, top destination on your travel bucket list once COVID's over? Palm Springs. Favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, butter pecan. If an actor played you in a movie, who would it be? Asai Morales. Favorite Harry Potter character? I don't know any of the Harry Potter stories. <laughs> I know. That's why I asked you. <laughs> Favorite way to eat avocados? With my mouth. <laughs> I just spit all over myself. That was a good answer. Taylor Swift or Beyonce? Beyonce. Uh, favorite song to Zumba to? Uh, there's a lot of them. I can't pick one. What is your favorite TV show you've watched in the last couple months during quarantine? Uh, I'm rewatching Golden Girls in ER. Of course you are. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> okay, last. What was your first impression of me when we met? You're sweet. Really? Huh? Wow, I thought you'd say I'm crazy. <laughs> no. That would be the pot calling the kettle black. So there. <laughs> I said, she's a very sweet girl. Oh, you're nice. I love you. Did we forget anything? Do we not talk about anything? No, I think we talked about exercise and photography and all that other stuff. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything else to talk about. Well, I love you. And I'm so happy you came on the podcast. So we switched formats for the podcast and you're the first long format interview. <gasps> Whoa, I'm excited. I Thank know. you. It's a big deal. Got to start with it's the best. Big deal. It's all downhill from here, guys. <laughs> all downhill. Oh my gosh. Okay. Thanks, Matt. Love you. Thank you. Love you too. Bye. All right, that's it for today's Web Scobby Cooking in the Wild. Be sure to tune in for new episodes on Mondays. And if you have any questions you want answered, give us a call at 1-888-338-4429 and leave me a voicemail. Or if you know a super cool small company that you want to be highlighted, let me know in the voicemail as well. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen and follow along with What's Gobby Cooking on Instagram and Twitter. And for more recipes, check out my website, whatscobbycooking.com. See you guys very soon.